Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's a two-part episode talking about two teams in the Eastern Conference that have been disappointing in some regard or having their own struggles here or there. And the first part of this conversation is going to be on the Chicago Bulls with Ricky O'Donnell, who if you're watching on YouTube, you can see right now. The second part is going to be with Samson Folk. He is going to talk us through the Toronto Raptors and some of the issues that they're having right now. So these two conversations, at least for me, I'm going into them with very real different thought processes on it. The Raptors, as you're going to hear, I think like absolutely should not blow this up. I think that they have a ton of talent on that team and they just need to like kind of figure out a different way to utilize the talent and maybe make moves on the margins to make it make sense a little bit. And we're going to talk about some of the issues that they're having a little bit more than having like the blow it up conversation with the bulls. Oh boy. Uh, I think we're having a different conversation with the Chicago bulls. And I thought there was no one better to have the blow it up conversation with than Ricky O'Donnell, a longtime Bulls fan, a longtime Bulls coverer, uh, a longtime Bulls media person, and someone who is not afraid to uh, let loose when things are not going well. So, Ricky, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Sam? The Bulls are trash once again. (laughs) They had a very brief oasis of not being trash for like the first maybe three months of last season. But then Lonzo Ball went down on January 14th in a game against yeah. the Warriors. Zach Levine actually also exited that game in the first minute with knee trouble that lingers to this day. So that was just a cursed day for the Bulls. I was at that game. They got smoked by Golden State. Uh, and since then, it's been all downhill for the Bulls. And really, at this point, Pretty hard to see a path forward. I think that that's the main crux of this conversation. So let's just like kind of give a primer for people who are not as locked into the Bulls. We're recording this on Monday. This podcast is going up on Wednesday or Thursday, something like that. And the Bulls currently are 11 and 18. They're in 11th place in the Eastern Conference. They have the 22nd best offensive rating. They have the 18th best defensive rating. So they're below average on both fronts. So they're expected win loss based off of the negative 1.8 net rating that they have is 13 and 16. They are 11 and 18. So there has been 
a little bit of like Pythagorean luck as basketball reference refers to it. But I also don't watch this team and feel like there is much positive to be excited about. Uh, I love DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan is one of my favorite players, I don't know, of the last decade of basketball. I am firmly on the DeMar DeRozan is a Hall of Famer, like train, and I get yelled at for it. DeMar has been good. He's been just as good as what you could expect, I think. His two-to-one assist turnover ratio. He's shooting over 50% from the field. He's averaging 26 points per game. It's just that everything else, outside of maybe Alex Caruso as well, but even Caruso's offense, I think, has not been quite as good as it was last year. It's just not... Nothing is gelling. Nothing is working. Everything feels like a claustrophobic mess in the mid-range. And I, I don't see how this core has a path toward sustained contention. Ricky, I've set all that up for you. You've certainly watched more Bulls games than I have. I've probably watched eight or nine at this point this year. Enough to get a feel, but certainly not like, you know, the night to night watching, like I'm sure you are. Where are you at on the Chicago Bulls team? You know, I didn't want to have this conversation about quote unquote blowing it up or trading some pieces for future assets uh, during the season because I thought, while obviously the team wasn't going to be as good without Lonzo, you know, the hope was that Lonzo could come back by like February, maybe by the playoffs, he's back to being the best version of himself. And perhaps the Bulls could go on a little run, maybe sort of the opposite of what happened last year when the Bulls were in first in the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break, which was like 70% of the way through the season, and then just yeah. totally fell apart and didn't put up much of a fight against the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I was hoping that like they could tread water, be a couple games above 500, get Lonzo back, and maybe they can keep this thing going, even if it wasn't going to ultimately result in a championship. Because I don't think Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley thought they were building a championship team when they signed DeRozan, uh, got Lonzo, got Caruso. I think that like coming out of the post-Jimmy Butler trade with Jim Boylan as the head coach, the Bulls had the most losses in the NBA for a four-year period and picked seven three times and fourth once. Uh, I think they just need to get back to competency. And last year, they were actually really good uh, for the first 70% of the season. And since then, this team has just looked awful. And they've maintained looking awful, especially over the last week. Uh, You mentioned that their Pythagorean theorem hints that they've been a little unlucky. The thing is that last year, the Bulls were one of the best teams in the league in clutch situations, mostly because of DeRozan's brilliance. He hit famously back-to-back game-winning buzzer beaters against the Pacers and against the Wizards on January, right? Yeah. Yeah. And DeRozan was second team all NBA last year. He was phenomenal. He's been very good again, I think in his role. Yeah. May not be the most scalable star, but in terms of like the situation, the bulls put him in uh, with a real lack of shooting and a real lack of spacing around him, which we'll talk more about. I'm sure. Uh, DeMar's been about as good as you can expect him to be. But the rest of this team is just so lifeless. And in close games this year, 3-11 and in clutch situations, uh, games decided by five points with five minutes uh, remaining. So, you know, 3-11, and like, that 
does hint at some bad luck, but it also hints at the Bulls just doing everything they can to find a new way to lose a close game constantly. <laughs> and you might remember a week ago, the Bulls are playing the Hawks. The Hawks really like sort of dominated that game for the majority of the time. But, you know, DeRozan in the fourth got him back into it. And then DeRozan gets fouled on a three-point shot down two with like one second left. Hits all three free throws, bowls up one. Now 0.5 seconds left. The Hawks are inbounding it. They throw it to A.J. Griffin, who hits like a miraculous turnaround tap shot to beat the Bulls. So after that game, the Bulls had scored one more point than they had allowed on the season. Their point differential was 0.0, but they had actually scored one more point than they had allowed. So... Looking at some of the other numbers, the uh, luck-adjusted net rating after that game, they were 14th in the league or 13th in the league. They seemed like an average team that was just really bad in the clutch, a little bit unlucky. Obviously, they didn't have the Lonzo injury. So I was still thinking, like, maybe this team could win 43, 44 games. I certainly didn't expect them to win a series, but maybe they could put up a little bit of a fight. They had already beaten the Celtics twice and also had one close loss to them. They'd beaten the Bucks, So I wanted this to work, Sam, but then they played back-to-back games against the Knicks. And in the first one, overtime loss. Once again, the Bulls finding a new way to lose a close game as they've done all year. And then I think after that loss, like the weight of all of these close losses just started to break the team. And they got killed on their home floor on Friday night against the Knicks in the second game of that back-to-back set. And then they played the Timberwolves without Rudy Gobert, without Carl Anthony Towns, and let the Wolves put up 150 on them. And in that game, the Wolves entered number nine in defensive efficiency. After that game, they're number 18. That's how brutal that performance was. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen Zach Levine play. This whole game has sort or this whole season has sort of been a game of like who's the scapegoat? Is it Vooch? He's an easy scapegoat because the trade they made to acquire him is kind of the reason they're in this horrible position. But Vooch has been pretty solid this year. I mean, he's not spectacular. He certainly wasn't worth what they gave up for him, but he's a good player. He's he's Vooch is Vooch is exactly what you would expect him to be. Yeah. Shooting a little better this year, just like all around a little bit more potent overall. And I find like that usually happens in the second year for a guy who's like the number three in a big three. Uh, It's tough to transition into that, especially when you were in a like, you know, primary offensive option role in Orlando for so long. Uh, So Vooch has been solid. Like, so I don't think he's a scapegoat. Billy Donovan, maybe the scapegoat. Uh, I think that the Bulls offensive sets are extremely bland. Uh, Billy, has he really developed Patrick Williams or Io to the extent that maybe those guys could be developed? Not really, in my opinion. Um, and at this point, it sort of seems like the team's quitting on him. He's already been publicly feuding with Levine in the media a little bit. And then Levine, like, it just sucks because he did earn the contract. They paid him $215 million, uh, over the offseason. He's only 27 years old. And when Levine is at his best, it's because he's a great rim pressure guy, can get to the rim frequently and finish well. And he's a good high volume three point shooter who you can use on like multiple actions, like running off screens. He can do it off the dribble. Uh, And that's why he's good, right? He was putting up really efficient scoring seasons because he just gets to the rim a lot, rips threes on volume. But Levine, ever since that Warriors game that I mentioned earlier, 
yeah. has just had a hurt knee. And he had, you know, he played hurt all last season after that game, was not nearly as effective. Uh, he had a cleanup surgery in the offseason, and he's still sort of like working his way back through it. He hasn't really missed many games, but he just also isn't as good. He's not as good at finishing at the rim. He's not as good at shooting threes. Uh, and then some of like the other parts of Levine's game that were never quite as developed, his vision, uh, certainly his defense, some of the late game decision making issues like that's all really reared its ugly head. Uh, so now like that yeah. stuff looks even worse when he's not shooting as well and he's not finishing as well. So Levine's been a disappointment to be sure. His numbers aren't terrible, but like it's it's been a rough year for him, no doubt. And he seems pretty unhappy too so there's a lot going on with the bulls no shooting certainly has been a major factor in like their big three players not performing very well together i believe uh you know a couple games ago i don't have the updated numbers but they were getting outscored like seven or eight points per 100 possessions when vucevic derozan and levine are on the floor together well it's like they're playing in a shoebox patrick williams right. Good shooter, 44% three point shooter, but he takes three attempts a game and he turns right. down so many open looks. He travels on wide open looks all the time because he record scratches. And now it seems like anytime someone pump fakes in the NBA this year, the refs just call traveling. Uh, Iodumu, you know, was really hoping for a leap out of him this year. Hasn't really happened. He's still solid, but he's kind of like he could maybe be a fifth starter because he operates at very low volume. He's a pretty efficient scorer. A good on-ball defender, kind of a poor off-ball defender. So essentially, the Bulls' defense was always inflated. And after they, you know, they were never a top-10 defense. You just look at the defensive talent on this team. There's no way they're going to be a top-10 defense. And now they've, you know, fallen apart in the course of one game after allowing 150 to the Wolves. Uh, The offense is really bad because they are dead last in the league in three-point attempts. They're like 28th in the league in three-point makes. And they just yeah, like that, that's the thing. Me. Like they have theoretically guys who can shoot. Like you could space Vucevic a little bit further out. You could space Patrick Williams a little bit further out. And theoretically, those guys might be able to shoot. But like, I, I guess that like this is kind of where you've one hundred percent hit all, everything that I wanted to talk about in terms of this team and what this team looks like this year. I think it's important to discuss what I think was the original cardinal sin of this entire thing, of this entire era of Bulls basketball, having the four straight top seven picks or whatever it was. It was three number seven, three seventh overalls, and then one number four, right? Correct. There is one big cardinal sin that I think failed this and it's not the Vucevic trade but I think that this immediately led to the Vucevic trade it's letting Jim Boylan be the coach of this team for two years because Jim Boylan was the coach of this team for two years two of those back-to-back seventh overall picks never got a chance to develop because Jim Boylan was busy developing this bench and because of that, they didn't get enough of an evaluation on Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen to know just how good these guys are. And because of that, you end up in a situation where you then allow Lowry to leave in a trade where they get 
what back one late first round pick it's going to be basically Portland's lottery protected first round pick. So they get that pick if Portland makes the playoffs at any point in the next three, four years. Right. And then you move Wendell Carter in a deal for Nikola Vucevic. I would just straight up rather have Wendell Carter as a player, let alone the Franz Wagner pick, let alone the other pick that's forthcoming. Right. So like, I mean, brutal. All of these things, I think, stem from letting Jim Boylan coach this team for two years and worry about developing this bench versus developing actual dudes that are good. So everything from there, I think, is snowballed. And this is why this fucking sucks for Bulls fans, because they had a four-year run where they had four top seven picks and four of them. And because they didn't have a coach that knew what he was doing, they're now in a position where they have to restart this rebuild. And when I say like restart the rebuild, I don't think they need to like full scale tear it down to studs. Like I'm not at all going to say that, but they need to do quite a bit of work here. I think to make up for where they are. And Ultimately, I think that keeping Boylan for two years led to the Vucevic deal because they didn't know who Wendell Carter was and how good he was and that they didn't need Vucevic. And then they would have these two other picks that could have been Franz Wagner, could have been someone else, who knows, right? Uh, You know, very easily could have been Franz Wagner, teams like Franz Wagner. It could have been something like you have Wendell Carter, who's just as good as Vucevic. You have someone like Franz Wagner. Then you have all these guys getting Vucevic doesn't stop you from signing DeMar DeRozan, right? Like maybe DeMar doesn't sign there, but I'd rather have all the picks and Wendell Carter than DeMar as great as DeMar has been because DeMar now, if Vucevic leaves in the off season by a free agency, which is the biggest part of this, the timeline is ticking on this core. He doesn't fit the age timeline anymore of what this team of when this team should be competing. So this has always been the biggest issue with the Bulls' decision-making to do this, right? It was you're mixing timelines together, hoping that Patrick Williams develops quick, hoping that Kobe White develops quick, hoping that um, maybe you get minutes out of Io DeSumo where he's ready to go playoff, play, playoff rotation player from the jump right now you're getting Alex Caruso. And like, I think that ultimately what this has led to is a situation where they're not really standing and competing for anything. They're not competent anymore because of the Lonzo injury. And they got really unlucky with the Lonzo injury. Like, let's just call that out too. It's incredibly unfortunate that Lonzo got hurt, but because they have to make decisions here coming up on DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, it's very fucking hard for them to not make moves now in season that make them worse at basketball for the rest of this season and probably into next season. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, the real first decision, like you talk about Boylan, but the thing to remember is that Boylan was John Paxson and Gar Foreman's guy. He was really Paxson. <laughs> so then we bullied the Bulls into making Paxson fire himself. He did it. 
but he's still with the organization. He just basically got promoted into not having much power. The American dream, to be honest. Uh, Gar Foreman did get fired, so they hire Arturis Karnaschovas. And Karnaschovas's first decision, in my opinion, was, are you going to trade Zach Levine? He was like, you know, yeah. two years away, then one year away from getting this big deal. Uh, the Bulls had already traded a superior player in Jimmy Butler while he had two years of very team-friendly contract remaining because they didn't want to pay him his next contract. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know... First, Boylan was horrible. Obviously, he's the worst coach I've ever seen. He was garbage. I think he's genuinely the worst NBA coach of the decade. Like, if if I was like really thinking back through it, I think he's the worst NBA coach of like since I've been covering basketball. Yeah, no doubt, he's the worst I've seen as well over my time covering basketball. He was the worst at Utah when he was a college coach. He was the worst with the Bulls when he was a head coach in the NBA. But also, like, Markkanen and Carter, like, it just makes sense that dudes are better at, like, 24, 25 than they are at 19. Totally. When they were on the Bulls, they were 19, 20, 21. I think that Markkanen never really got better in his four years in Chicago. This is a different conversation, but... uh, And he got hurt as well. He continued to get hurt. The Bulls never had a decent point guard with him to help him. And then Carter, like they wouldn't even let him shoot. It was just ridiculous when that was the like, Carter. The Carter one is worse than the Lowry Markinen one. Like the Carter one was just you could see it happening as it was happening that this guy had so much more skill than what they let him showcase, and they just never let him do anything. And it was just like, what are we doing here? <clears throat> so they, you know, they made the decision to build around Levine. That was the key decision. And I think like when Karnaschovas went into the job interview, he wasn't telling the Reinsdorfs like, hey, we're going to be garbage for four more years and I'm just going to pick better than Paxson and Foreman in the draft and maybe we'll get luckier in the lottery. No, he told them like, we're going to get back in the playoffs. You're going to get your playoff revenue. They told him, cool, just don't go into the luxury tax because the Bulls never go into the luxury tax, despite being one of the most profitable franchises in all the sports, uh, directly tied to the Jordan era, of course. So I think that that was sort of their directive, like build a playoff team, don't go into luxury tax. Ideally, you are viewed as like a up and coming team that a bigger star wants to join. So I think that was the game plan that the first move that triggered that was deciding they weren't going to trade Levine. And if you could go back now, you would trade Zach Levine. And yeah, Zach's still a good player. I don't want to make it seem like I'm like totally criticizing him. This season, he's not been very good. Uh, And, you know, it's partly because his body broke down. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's not Zach's fault that he's a bit worse now. Like, that's where, like, I I do want to be careful and, like, give Zach Levine, like, the credit he's due. It is unfortunate that his body has broken down in the way it has. And, like... Is it like thinking about it like from a team building perspective? I am, I'm like reasonably okay with everything they've done since the Vucevic move. Like, I think that was a disaster and they never should have done that. And I think that ultimately you're right. Like, if I was running the team, I would have traded Zach. I would have, I don't even know if I would have traded Zach. I would have tried to resign him. If he wasn't willing to resign, I then would have probably traded him. I would have never made the Vucevic move. That was just insane. And I wrote that at the time. Just the level of assets they gave up for a guy that uh, is someone that is difficult to make work on a playoff team. Uh, was always foolhardy in a lot of ways to me. But 
I am a big believer in making a decision on a direction and then sticking to that and trying to make it work until it no longer works. Period. Right. So after they made the Vucevic decision, I don't really have a problem with anything else that they've done. Like, I don't really have a problem with you getting Vucevic, having Zach Levine. And because you have those guys, you then go out and you sign DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and Alex Caruso. Those are the guys that make sense to put with those guys. Honestly, all really good moves. Yes, all of those moves have worked out. They drafted Ayodosumu. Great move. Great second round pick. It worked. So like, you know, Pat Williams is maybe not like your commensurate number four overall pick. I'm sure they would rather have Tyrese Halliburton, but like, I think every team would rather have Tyrese Halliburton, right? And I had Tyrese ahead of Pat Williams in that draft, but nonetheless, like Pat Williams was the late riser in that class. I think I also liked Isaac Okoro a little bit more than Pat Williams, and that was fucking wrong. So everyone gets these things right and everyone gets them wrong. They're incredibly difficult to judge and NBA teams only have to pick one and they pick Pat Williams and we'll see where it goes from here. He got hurt last year and is, I think, still trying to find a role in a team that established roles without him, right? So from there, the thing that they have to figure out is this is not working. We know that this is not working now. And it's unfortunate that it's not working because it does have something to do with Lonzo being hurt. But our timeline is running out now. DeMar's contract runs out at the end of next year. Vucevic's contract runs out at the end of this year. If we lose one of those two guys, which I think is like probably likely in some respect, right? Or if DeMar drops off in some respect because he's 34, if I remember correctly, like this becomes very, very difficult to get out of in a hurry. They actually have a chance to like, parachute out of this relatively quickly if they want to this is their chance though like in season right now is their chance to parachute out of this and that's why i think they have to take it yeah and if you watch the last couple games like it's tough to make the argument that they're just lonzo ball away also lonzo ball still can't walk up a flight of stairs like there was just an update that he tried to run and he can't run so it's like okay he suffered this injury 11 months ago and he can't run. Like it would have been hypothetically better if he tore his ACL and Achilles at the same time. Instead, he's got this weird bone bruise that is like a little bit unprecedented. Uh, Kendrick Nunn had the same injury actually. And uh, he missed also like two years essentially. So it just doesn't seem like this team is even close to being a 500 team at this point, given the way they've played the last couple weeks. Uh, And while I did not want to blow it up before the last couple games, at this point, I'm like, let's do like trade half these guys. Keep Pat Will. Maybe you keep Zach, because I think Zach's value is probably at its lowest. Certainly you listen to offers for him. And, you know, just like that salary cap number, 215 million, is going to be a lot for teams to potentially take on. You know, if you get a good offer for Zach, I would trade Zach. But, you know, I probably wouldn't trade him for, like, let's say the Knicks Wizards lottery protected pick. And, like, the Knicks have, like, all these, like, weird protected picks. Like, don't they have, like... Well, well, like, so, so, yeah, like, if you're... So, I I would not move Zach Levine for 
almost any iteration that the Knicks can put together. Um, you know, maybe in like, I like RJ Barrett. RJ has not been great this year, but like, I would probably, I don't know, but I wouldn't want RJ with DeMar. So then I'd have to move DeMar. Like the Knicks packages become complicated. You, you would have to get like three first round picks or something like that with one with very minimal protection, something like that. Like, and I just don't know if you're going to get that. Yeah, from that I would do, right? for sure. But I also doubt that's out there. So I think what it's yeah, I do too. For yeah. is you probably got to trade Vooch because he's an expiring deal. I do think there's a possibility they could resign him, similar to like the Al Horford deal with the Celtics. Horford, I think, signed for like $14 million a year. So basically you'd have to give Vooch a pay cut which he's probably not going to be super jacked up about taking. Also, we'll see what the yeah. Vooch market is. Like, there's plenty of teams that could use him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I would hope they move off him. And then, you know, DeRozan, Caruso. I feel like Caruso, low-key, might have the best trade value on the team. Uh, there was a viral clip of Steve Kerr coming up to him and basically mouthing, I wish we had you on our team. So... Could there potentially be something there with the Warriors? Who knows? I'm sure Caruso would have a massive market. He, he would have the he would have the widest market. Yeah. I think DeRozan would bring back the most because his contract is actually like eminently reasonable. Totally. He's still Very on like 28 million a year for how good he is. Yeah. And he only has a year and a half. So you'd get him for two playoff runs. I think he'd bring back the most. I think because Caruso is making like 10 million a year he would have the most suitors. I just don't think that it would drive up the market to where it gets past DeRozan's. Yeah. And DeRozan, there's been a lot of smoke with the Lakers. So here's my one thing on, like, if the Bulls are to pivot off this. I'm not sure how much a 2027 and 2029 pick helps you. I mean, if they're unprotected, sure. But, like, by that time, uh, like, the Lakers will probably have Luka or Ja or Zion because that's what they do in every generation, right? Like, well, it's, 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 Booker. <laughs> it's like, it's this not is what that with the Lakers. They did it with Wilt, Kareem, you know, like it just Shaq, LeBron. It just, this is what happens. So, those picks aren't super appealing to me. What I want are picks in this draft because I, you could speak to this more than I could, Sam, even though, you know, it's my beat too. Just because you're better at it doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. <laughs> I don't know but about like, that. The 2024 <laughs> draft is just not looking enticing yeah. to me. Really, I, like, I don't know who the number one player is. I, I could tell you who I would take, but uh, 2024 looks pretty weak, I think. We'll see. A lot can change. It's so early. Uh, I will also note 2025 evaluators are not wildly excited about it. Not great either. either. Exactly. Yeah. So I want this, to- this is the one to get into. Yeah. Totally. So and- you, you mentioned the Lakers pick as well. I want to just talk about that real quick. I don't really care if like you think that they're valuable. I don't really care if I think they're valuable. The guy that I think almost certainly does not find them valuable is Arturis Karnasovas because if he goes and get those gets those picks and brings back nothing of value for the next three years, he's not going to be the one to use those picks. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see a world where he thinks those are the ones to go get <laughs> at the end. Yeah, of you'd the have day. to go four seasons before the first of those picks yeah. comes to fruition. So I don't know. Like, but if I'm th- ideally, I was I was thinking about this after the horrible loss yesterday. 
DeRozan, Vooch, AC. Could you get three first round picks for those guys in various iterations? Plus one yeah. like semi interesting young guy, like a Cam Reddish type or something. Like, I don't know if you could get this up to Moses Moody, but that would be wonderful. But the point is, their pick, top four protected this year, most likely gone. Even if they were to have the worst record in the NBA, which will be tough to get to, they'd have a 49% chance of that pick landing at number five and conveying to the Magic. So you can't really base it all off of like, let's get in the Wembenyama scoot sweepstakes because most likely you're not getting that pick. But you could maximize your odds at getting that or increase your odds at getting it a little bit more. And you could just pick up some future assets. If the Kings want to give up their first round pick for Caruso, throw in some matching salary, you know, maybe that's a deal the Bulls do. The Bulls already hopefully will get the Blazers pick if the Blazers make the playoffs. So, you know, add in another pick in that range, maybe in the 18 to 24 range. You know, the Bulls don't have much in the cupboard right now, man. I think that that might be the type of trade that might be beneficial for them. Uh, yeah, because look, at the, at the end of the day, the, like you said, they're probably not keeping this pick in this year's draft. Like it would their own pick. Yeah. Yeah. Their own pick. They're not keeping their own pick because like you said, 49% chance that even if they suck. Yeah. Even if they're the worst team in the league, it's a 49% chance. Right. So, so no matter what they do, they are like, they are more likely than not to lose their pick in this year's upcoming draft. So like, just trying to pinpoint teams here, right? Like, I wonder if Toronto works for Nikola Vucevic, right? He doesn't really fit Project Six Foot Nine, like in terms of movement, in terms of athleticism, everything. But honestly, I kind of think that guys like maybe not Scotty, but like I, I think that guys like uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet's ability to get over ball screens, like those guys really would insulate him in some way. And I wonder if you could get like a top 16 protected lottery, like pick in the 2023 draft from Toronto where they keep all the upside if they continue to not do well, but then maybe long-term they do something like that. Um, I, I legit think they would get a first rounder for Caruso. It would be like a late first rounder, but I think that, there are way too many teams that would be willing to give up that pick. Like, can you imagine? Like, I think Memphis would sprint. They would be like, this only costs our 2023 first. Yes. Here. Exactly. Yeah. And then like, can you take on maybe a bad contract? Let's say Duncan Robinson, who the Heat are trying to get off, get two firsts for Caruso. Robert Covington once fetched two firsts from the Blazers. So I think it's maybe possible uh, take on a bad contract, you know, and give them Caruso, maybe Javante, maybe Kobe White. Um, the, the other interesting one, and I would not recommend Charlotte does this, but Charlotte just doesn't do things that I agree with regularly, and I have no idea what they're trying to do. Like, I wonder if Charlotte sees Vucevic as someone that's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, would make life easier on the mellow ball, Steve Clifford, you know, obviously has a history with him, so he knows the defensive scheme. Maybe something like that. Like, yeah. could, could about, you get that? Could you get that late first rounder that Charlotte has, like from Denver, right for Vuce? Would love that. How about? Uh, I'm thinking it, maybe not for Vooch specifically, but like the Mavs pick owned by the Knicks, top ten protected. 
Like, could there be something that brings back that? Maybe you take on Fournier, give him DeRozan or give him Caruso. I mean, maybe Vooch. I don't really know what the Knicks would want, but they're a team that could be buyers. Uh, and they have multiple picks in this draft. So if you could get the Mavs top 10 protected pick, I don't know where that's going to slot in. Probably, you know, 15, 14, 13, somewhere around there. That could be a good one to go after. And I think I maybe had one more. How about like, well, the Heat, I think, could be a good a good fit for Vooch or for DeRozan or for Caruso, really. And what about the Nets on the Sixers pick? Uh, would they maybe like you could see them as a Vooch destination? I think Vooch would help the Nets quite a bit. Uh, they could certainly also use, you know, DeRozan or Caruso as well. So, I, for, for what it's worth, I don't like Vooch on the Nets. Uh, they've won so far this year by getting back to defense and protecting the rim. And, you know, I think Nick Claxton has been very, very good this year, as we talked about on the episode with Schindler earlier this week. And it's another guy that just kind of clogs up the mid range for Kevin Durant. And that's just not what you want if you're KD, right? Yeah. Vooch can shoot a little bit, but he's not great as a shooter. He's like average at best. And the percentage has been better this year. It's like 36%. But his only truly good shooting season was the season with no fans. He hit like 40%. That was clearly the outlier if you look at his career percentages. So a good pushback. I think in general, I would be targeting early draft picks. Give me 23 ideally, or I'll even take 24, 25. When you're talking about 27 and 29, it's like... Dude, that's just too far away. And I don't see how they could come close to building a playoff caliber team in the 2020s if they were to, you know, potentially target picks that late. I think Miami has like a 26 pick. Could you get a 23 and a 26 from them for taking on Duncan Robinson and maybe giving them some pieces? I don't know sort of what the... Uh, machinations of these deals could look like a lot of these picks that you'd want to get can't be traded because of the step right like the uh, yeah. Warriors owe a top four protected pick to the Grizzlies next year who that pick could be spicy if you think about where the Warriors are at right now uh Grizzlies they just always do this right but like you know so if you want the Warriors pick this year I don't think you can get it because of the stepping role so the Hawks I think are another team like that where all, obviously all their future picks are going to San Antonio not sure if they're allowed to trade the pick this year or sort of what that looks like, but uh, there's some complications to these deals. I think big picture sense, if you could keep Zach, Lonzo, Pat Will, Dalen Terry, and Io, somehow acquire three first-round picks for Caruso, Vooch, and DeRozan, maybe one semi-interesting young guy in that mix as well. And then you maximize the odds of keeping your pick this year, which is probably gone and which will probably be a Thompson twin and just like make me horribly heartbroken. Uh, But it's likely to happen. The Bulls are going to get their ass kicked all season. And the most painful day of the year is going to be when they lose the draft pick at the end of the season. But I think that might be the path forward. Flip a few guys, try to get some future first, try to get those first as soon as possible. And, Take on a bad contract if it'll or two if it'll get you, a, you know, more assets in the future, and just see if you can sort of find a little bit of a safe landing out of an otherwise really poor situation. Because otherwise, Sam, 
they're in a rough spot, dude. Like, I don't really see a way for them to forget, like, title contender. Just, like, even a team that could get, like, win a playoff series. It's going to be very, very difficult. It hinges a lot on if Lonzo can come back and be Lonzo. Uh, I hope he can. That'd be a, just a big loss for basketball if he can't forget a loss for the Bulls, but just for the game in general. Uh, well, well, like, here, here's another question. If a team would take the Lonzo deal, would you do it? Yeah, I think you'd have to. He's I think provided have zero well. value, you know, for twenty yeah, million I, this season. And I, I don't think a team would. Earlier, I think this month, I brought up the idea like the Clippers really struggle with ball movement. They have an owner that has unlimited pockets. Like, could the Clippers say, you know what, we're willing to take hit, we're willing to take this year off with Lonzo, and just hope that he comes back with what he had previously in terms of moving the ball, getting easy buckets in transition, being able to space the floor from three for our guys like Paul George and Kawhi, who initiate the half-court offense a lot of the time anyway. So you'd essentially just have Lonzo being the connective tissue guy, which I think would really help them. Yeah. But again, like that would require a team being like, we're willing to take on all the risk of like paying him $50 million for – a guy that like might never play for us at this point, it seems like. Sad times for Lonzo Ball. He's awesome. He would help any team in the league. The Bulls' downfall is pretty closely related to Lonzo going out of the lineup. You know, really yeah. good 3 and D guys, even if they're your fourth best player, super valuable. Lonzo can guard like three or four positions capably. He Nobody who took as many threes in the NBA last year made as many of them as he did. I think he took 7.3 per game and made like 43 or 44% of them. And he unlocked the Bulls transition attack too with, the, with his outlet passes. They had the spirit of Chino Hills flowing through the team, Sam. And that's gone too after the Lonzo injury. So rough stuff all the way around. The Bulls right now look, they look like horrible. They look like the Wizards out there. Like a team with like no oh, real future oh, and no hope in the present. I know the Wizards have lost like 10 straight. The Bulls. Might not get that bad. They're but, like you know, seven of nine right now, right? Yeah. So, so it's tough. It's tough, but you know, if you could get three first for DeRozan, Vooch, and Caruso, I think that that would be the best move to make. Will the Reinsdorfs allow Arturis Karnaschovas to make it? Will Karnaschovas even want to make it? We'll see. I'm a little skeptical because I think that the Bulls, at the end of the day, would love to get the eight seed. You know, they'd love to try to get a little bit of playoff revenue and they'd love to bring back Lonzo next year and say, OK, let's do this with Lonzo. But if you follow the team closely lately, man, it doesn't seem like they can get there. It just seems like a bad team. Yeah, I agree. OK, Ricky, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. You'd find all my work at SBNation.com. I recently wrote a really long thing on the sadness of Lonzo's injury. So you could like maybe Google for that Lonzo Ball SB Nation. Injury, Ricky O'Donnell. You'll find it. Uh, just covering the NBA, college hoops, everything else. So find it all at SBNation.com. Ricky's one of my favorite people on the internet. It makes me so happy that I get to talk to him on this podcast regularly. In a minute here, we're going to talk to Samson Folk about the Toronto Raptors, a team that is also struggling a little bit. Uh, but I have a little bit more hope that they can turn it around. So we'll be back with that momentarily. <music>
Hello, we're back to the Game 3 Podcast. With me now is Samson Folk. He writes over at Raptors Republic. He's one of my favorite people covering basketball currently. I think he does a phenomenal job covering the Raptors, an incredibly interesting team, and he does so in very interesting, thought-provoking, intriguing ways. Samson, first appearance on the show. Introduce yourself to the people. What's going on? Yeah, just the... I like basketball. I like carpentry. I like reading, you know, log walks on the beach, although I don't have access to those in Canada like you do, you know, or yeah. over in Australia. But man, it's uh, it's it's uh, a real pleasure to be on. And thank you very much. You've been very complimentary, not only on, on the podcast we did over for my stuff, but on your stuff yeah. as well. So thank you. Um, you're also a member of the Small Dog uh, Brethren. You have a very, very little little black dog that it might be very similar to mine. I have like a Chihuahua toy Fox terrier mix. So yeah. Chihuahua and dash hunt. Yeah, there you go. So Samson is here. We're going to talk about the direction for the Raptors and kind of like I said in the segment with Ricky, whereas I think the bulls need to just blow this thing up and do some things, you know, maybe not blow it to smithereens. Like I think that you keep some guys and then try and build and rebuild on the fly a little bit. I think the Raptors are, just going through a tough spell right now. And it's funny, like I even think I'm a little bit more optimistic than Samson is right now on the Raptors, having watched a couple of his streams on the Raptors where coming off of these games, it's real easy to feel very (laughs) down, right? Because they've played so many tough losses. They've played so many difficult games at this point, but I, I don't know, man, like I'm, I felt really optimistic. Like I'll be real. I felt really optimistic about the Raptors coming off of the Nets loss where, you know, Scotty started to get going. You could see Fred coming out of the slump. You could see some things, right? I thought they were about to like, maybe not go on a tear, but like, I thought they were about to like kind of figure some things out. And then they lose, you know, these next couple of games here. One of which just, they were never really competitive with the Warriors, a team without Stephen Curry, without Andrew Wiggins. And then, the game against the 76ers last night when we're recording this was certainly a game of basketball. It resembled, resembled college basketball at times more than an NBA game. Uh, let's, let's start with this. Where are you on the Raptors right now, currently riding a six-game losing streak uh, in the middle of what has been the toughest point of their season to this stage? I think they're still a playoff team. And I think that as somebody who is, I'm very high on Precious Achua. I love mm-hmm. his defense. Uh, he's had a lot of success simplifying the point of attack for the Raptors, not only as a guy guarding at the level in drop, but also a guy in switches. I cannot wait until he's healthy and just to see how the Raptors operate with him. He doesn't really fix anything offensively unless he shoots the three ball well, which he did for an extended streak last year. But I think he's at 19% so far this season. So the defense looks like it could be, well, it could take a large step with Precious coming back, but there's still a lot of things that aren't exactly kinetic for the Raptors. And the way for them to improve isn't exactly inherent either because they have a very strict type of style they play. Nick Nurse is a huge proponent of playing this style on both sides of the floor, and they're seeing diminishing returns everywhere. And for a team that was returning a lot of the guys that had them succeeding last year, 
and was supposed to build on that to some degree with like a healthy auto Porter jr development from guys like precious Scotty Pascal is better than he's ever been. Fred was supposed to be better than a 32% three point shooter or something like that. I hear he's good at shooting. Yeah. Yeah. We, they need stuff to happen and it hasn't been happening. And it's tough as somebody who, unfortunately, I'm put in the position where I have to analyze every game. The comeback from, you know, I'm at the arena. You talk to the guys. They're dejected. I take the, you know, the subway home. I get, I sit down in front of my camera. I say, hey, guys, we lost again. You know, it's, it's a bit of an ordeal. So the Raptors right now, 13 and 18. They are 17th in defensive efficiency. They are 14th in offensive efficiency. But I think that that 14th number is inflated in terms of the way that it tends to operate against good teams, uh, in large part because they're 26th right now, according to Synergy, in half court offensive rating. And it just is a really big struggle for them. And of course, it's worth noting this team has struggled with injuries throughout parts of the season. Like OG Ananobi just missed a couple of games here. Pascal Siakam missed 10 games earlier this season. Scotty Barnes has missed a few games. Gary Trent, I think, has missed, what, like the last five or six, something like that. Fred has missed. um, Precious has been out for a while. Just everything. Well, Otto, their mid-level exception, who fits the team, he's been out for a month and a bit. He's played, what, like three or four games at this point? It's, It's tough, man. And it feels like a team that because like all of those injuries have happened at different points throughout the year, they haven't really gotten a chance to like, okay, let's see what a Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fivesom can do regularly, right? Or let's see what, you know, playing four of those guys with a center can do regularly just because they haven't had a lot of them and like particularly Gary Trenton, OG and Anobi recently during this run of losses. I think those guys are really important. Like OG is obviously incredibly important for them structurally because he's in my opinion, the best perimeter defender in the NBA. He's also taken real strides and leaps offensively in terms of being able to run occasional ball screens, being able to knock down shots, but Gary Trent structurally for the offense is actually just very important because mm-hmm. he's really the only guy that can knock down shots off of movement from three at the end of the day. Well, also the interesting thing about Gary too this season has been that he's much quicker making decisions against the closeouts and he's turned yeah. a lot of those between 19 and 17 foot jumpers that he took last year and hit a really good percentage of those. But he's turned a lot more of those into short mid-range looks and even a higher percentage of free throw rate and a higher percentage of frequency getting to the to the rim as well. So there's more diversity in how Gary's scoring, and a lot of it is because he's making way better decisions with the ball in his hand. And so there's a it, it makes the def- or sorry, the offense, it's more synergistic when when Gary is the guy on the, the end of a closeout or a hard closeout, yeah. an advantage closeout, whatever you want to call it, and he's putting the ball down. They're scoring a lot more often than... There's a lot of guys on the team who, if the ball comes out to them, the ball can stick. Advantages are not maintained. Resets are asked of the stars. And there's a lot of clunk in what they do offensively, for sure. Well, and without Gary, without OG up until last night, you're playing a lot of Wancho. And Wancho, for as much fun as Bo Cruz is, and for as much as I think, like, you know, for 15 minutes a night, he can provide value. He's. A, I a, like him in the rotation. I do. 
it's a win when you're playing against four other Toronto Raptors starters and he's the one on the end of the like string and he's the one taking the three, right? So teams just don't really guard him out there all that much. Scotty Barnes, we talked about Scotty Barnes over on Samson's Raptors Republic podcast. Please go listen to that. We talked about Scotty Barnes for 50 minutes, I think, and broke down his trajectory, his sophomore season, a lot of what we're seeing. Again, just go there, right? We're not going to talk a ton about Scotty here because we did like the deepest dive of Scotty imaginable there. But in terms of the way the offense runs, it's worth noting that like for instance last night the seven or the yeah 76ers just stuck Joel Embiid on Scotty Barnes tried to clog up the paint and dared Scotty to shoot. So when your best player is Pascal Siakam and he's trying to get to those spaces where he's able to get to the rim, able to take those weird push shots, those weird hook shots, everything from 10 feet and 12 feet and in, it just clogs up everything that the Raptors are trying to do and they desperately need Fred Van Vliet to be able to be like the circuit breaker a lot of the time. And he is just in the middle of like one of the worst stretches in terms of his shooting of his career. And that'll bounce back, but like it's shitty timing for it to happen right now. It's also good that the axis of how he's missing seems to be corrected. We talked to Nick nurse about this, the Raptors, they, you know, they marketed their big shooting board that, uh, you know, they like to use in their practice facility. And it's very, very technical. And Fred was missing left to right. And apparently in his career, that is a very rare miss for him. He's usually shorter long. And so this was a new type of miss. And a couple weeks ago, we talked to Nick Nurse at practice. He said, this is something we can go in and fix in the gym. Um, The last couple games, it has been shorter long, at least to my eye, which I think is a step in the right direction. And hopefully returning to a guy who will shoot you know, around 33, 34% on pull-ups and north of 40% on his catch and shoots as he often does. So fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, but this offense just has very little margin for error, Mm -hmm. I think is what it comes down to. When guys are out, it slows down. When Fred Van Vliet is just slightly off his kilter, things slow down it just becomes harder and they need to operate and transition a lot. And they can do that because they have project six, nine, which is a lot of guys that are big and can handle the ball and can attack and try and create early offense. But it's just a bit of a struggle right now. The weirder thing has been the defense. Obviously this was a team that was expected to be an extremely high level defensive team coming into the year. What have you seen defensively that, has led to them being the 17th best defense in the league when I would say certainly everyone expected them to be a top 10 defense at the very least, right? You have guys like Fred Van Vliet, you have guys like OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, all of these guys are very plus defenders in the case of OG, I think a phenomenal, phenomenal defender. And then you have someone like Scotty Barnes, who, again, we talked about him, go watch Samson's podcast, go listen to it. I don't think he's been very good defensively, but is long and takes up a ton of space. Like if he's your fifth best defender on the court, you're probably okay. Like where are you on the Raptors defensively at this stage? So the big problem this year is that they haven't been able to succeed at anything they set out to succeed at besides that turnover percentage. And as we're learning, 
that can't carry you to elite defense. In fact, it currently isn't carrying you to above average defense. And the problem with that is that the Raptors last season, you know, I, Hank Ward, who's now he, he scouts professionally for an NBA team, but he coined the term democratic rim protection. And that's where the Raptors, they rotate from all over the court to try and create earlier pickup points. And they trust in that length and that activity to recover out to points on the court. That requires exceptional buy-in, effort, from everybody on the court to be able to do that. And also you need a little bit of punch to contest stuff at the rim. The Raptors are in the bottom third in allowing people to get to the rim, that frequency this season. They were in the top half of the NBA last season, 13th, I think. They're also one of the three worst teams at stopping shots once they get to the rim. And then on top of that, they still allow just as many corner threes, still the most in the NBA. So there are hemorrhaging looks at the rim, which are high-quality looks. They're hemorrhaging looks from the corners, which are high-quality looks, and they don't seem to have any recourse to stop that because their point-of-attack defense isn't good enough. For a few games at a time, they may be able to achieve better defense because teams don't run these fast. This is why Jordan Poole ripped them to shreds. Jordan Poole is getting these high step-up screens, getting downhill, and just collapsing everything. James Harden, who likes to play at a... James Harden, Joel Embiid, both who like to play at a slower pace, they get the advantages, but they're slower getting to them. They're running at their pace. It gives the Raptors more chances to catch up. But that isn't really a vote of confidence in what the Raptors do or, you know, their supposed versatility to stop anybody and everybody. It shows that they're limited to stop certain types of players. It shows that they're limited in a lot of facets. And that's the probably the most difficult aspect of it is they don't have an NBA level center to backline all of that breakage at the point of attack and they don't have the buy-in or they don't have the the foot speed to make things more compelling at the point of attack. Um, you'd have to think schematically they would have to address this with heavy, heavy switching schemes or maybe, you know, you, you incorporate more peel switching, more next rotations or anything like that. But as we've seen, you've been watching the Raptors lately. You've probably seen next rotations that are botched. You've probably seen peel switches that create yeah. two guys closing out to the same spot. They just, they are connected and they aren't very compelling defensively currently, I would say. Yeah, like the the backside switches, the backside rotations are just very odd. I do think, again, like we talked about this on the last podcast that we recorded like i think that scotty barnes does end up being that guy who like kind of ends up closing out a little bit too heavily because he's too far away from his man and that leads to these crazy long rotations uh that he's creating for himself a lot of the time and that the rest of the team is getting and then on top of it like i don't know what's going on with their connectiveness like it could just be the injuries on some level but like they're kind of hemorrhaging corner threes in a real way right now, which often is because the corner man has to help up to the wing or has to help uh, tagging down onto the big man rolling or has to help at the rim because a guard just blows by the point of attack defenders, right? So they're kind of hemorrhaging corner threes right now, and it's just like, well, where's that guy coming over, rotating from the weak side down or rotating from the wing down to the corner and they just feel off. They feel more off than I can remember seeing them in the last couple Mm -hmm. of years at the very least. So I'm not totally sure what to make of that. I do think that part of it is like injuries, obviously, but I think part of it is Nick nurse, like not 
utilizing his personnel in the best way. We talked a lot about Scotty Barnes playing at the point of attack a lot on the last podcast, but like, I think that leads to undue pressure on the paint and on the rim, which leads to having to rotate uh, to help him. I would just like to see Scotty play a little bit more as like a, I think roaming player. Uh, It's hard. because like, I don't think he does that wildly well yet, but like, I think it's better than just having him get beat at point of attack or being, being beat like off of a screen, right. Because he gets clipped by screens all the time. So like, I'd like to see Fred at the point of attack more, maybe, I don't know, but like OG is your wing stopper. You need OG like as the switch guy that's like going to come up and maybe, you know, get switched on to James Harden, get switched on to guys that can really create. So like they have the personnel to theoretically do a lot of what we're hoping that they can do. They just haven't been utilized that way. And again, like part of this is they don't have a center that can like really do much, unfortunately, but Part of it, I think, is like scheme. They haven't done as well containing the ball and they haven't done as well rotating on the backside as what you'd like to see. So I have a, a dear friend, Evan Golberto. We used to do a podcast called Bouncing Around where we would actually go through film and discuss what plays were being run. And that was we did it weekly and it was lots of fun. But he brought up to me the Liverpool Football Club and Jurgen Klopp's the way that he would have Liverpool run significantly more miles as far as pressuring the ball and covering the pitch and they won the champions league and they did they did win the premier league but cumulative load has affected maybe the psyche maybe the bodies of these players of upholding this scheme this play style for so long that it's starting to kind of settle down how do you maintain something like this that players in the nba they probably look at the raptors They see Pascal Siakam last season lead the NBA in total isolations, lead in minutes per game, despite missing a little bit, and lead in total closeouts and say, this guy's being asked to just leave everything on the court every game. And that's asked of many players. They are being asked to cover so much ground, game in and game out, that if they don't bring it night to night, they lose and they lose in an embarrassing fashion because it's it takes so much to uphold this scheme that if you're missing anything, the effort, the inclination, players through injury, they're having such a tough time upholding what the Raptors want to do defensively. And you do have to question how tenable is something like this over time where, you know, it's, it's a guy's third or fourth year doing this every game. And it's just like, my God, we don't have Marcus all back there for when we screw up anymore. And it's, it's tough to navigate those situations. It's, it's tough for the Raptors players, I'm sure, to come out and like kill themselves every night trying to maintain this really high energy um, court coverage that they want to. That's the human aspect of it. And Nick Nurse, before games, talks about the human aspect of it as far as playing up or down to competition. I'm sure he would dislike if he was asked about the human aspect of the defensive scheme that he wants them to play, but I'm sure that's part of it. It's tough to maintain. Yeah so let's just kind of go a little bit more broad at this point and this is a very base level question but the raptors have obviously evaluated a lot of these guys that are six foot nine can handle the ball can theoretically be versatile switchable defensively what is your thought on like the quote unquote project six nine or whatever you want to refer to this as in terms of uh, how the Raptors have chosen to build out this team. So the big question 
is how the Raptors view their developmental team, their developmental process. If they view Pascal Siakam, for example, as the rule or the exception is extremely important. And also whether they're drafting these guys because they've been at the back end of the draft quite often because they think their skill sets like Delano Banton, Justin Champagne and Scotty Barnes, you know, Justin being an undrafted free agent last year, but all three of those guys were above the 90th percentile in offensive rebounding rate for their position per clean the glass last year. They get these things that are overlooked and say, well, the skill sets that are really desired, we can just coach those up. We'll develop those. But what's happened is that not everything hits. Some players don't. How long is the track record that you need to teach these guys these things. And even if Delano Banton on his second or third contract ends up being like, it's finally all come together, that doesn't necessarily assist Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet in what they're trying to do. So it's a very long development game, one that they might not even win. But even if they do win it, they're taking a really long time to get it. And that kind of makes it difficult for the current roster, which isn't filled with lottery picks which isn't filled with shrewd and great signings which isn't filled with anything like that they have a very unique team building process that hasn't been assisted from the high end of the draft only scotty barnes like new orleans and the magic for example this is something my friend trey was talking about they're doing this similar big thing but they're picking guys at the top end of the draft so they don't have to wait as long to develop out a lot of these other skills and the raptors It's just like a total bet on development and hoping that you're getting things that are overlooked because they're coupled with the guys not being very good at other things. But it's just skills are important in basketball. Shooting is important, (laughs) as it turns out. It breaks my heart to say it, but it is important. And the Raptors, as much as it is cool to see some games where, you know, like every team runs Chicago out of the corner, right? And the Raptors mm-hmm. switch every, the three players involved in the Chicago, they switch every single one. Maybe they get a steal. It's three guys sprinting up the court. It's Tiki Taka. They get like a layup. But right. that isn't, you can't control for those terms on a basketball court. What you can control for is that you are going in, going to end up in the half court. It is important to score there. And why the hell have you been so bad at it? Because of that you know, they don't have a lot of those skills or finesse on the roster. It's tough, man. All, all of this is why I was as positive as I was on them being willing to trade Scotty Barnes potentially for Kevin Durant this summer. And who the fuck knows if Kevin Durant was going to be willing to like come to Toronto right. and everything that goes along with that. Right. But like a Kevin Durant is a fucking basketball genius and unbelievable. Every single thing he does on the court at this point. And I think that like the team around it, assuming that like Scotty was the best asset on the table and like everything like that, um, you wouldn't have had to give up as much as other teams, just Scotty and draft picks and then salary cap matching or whatever. Um, you could have like theoretically hoped to keep Fred, Pascal, OG, and then you pair them with Kevin Freak and Durant. It's just like, oh wow, like this is kind of similar to what they want to do in terms of Project Six Nine, except it's with Kevin Durant now instead of you know, everyone instead of Scotty Barnes, frankly, who mm-hmm. is still developing in the half court. And again, we talked about that. And I think we're both still bullish on Scotty long term. It's just like, I wonder at what point the timeline in terms of what you're saying, the guys in terms of Fred and Pascal age out of it. And 
it becomes difficult then when you're kind of maybe overpaying for guys that hopefully you maintain and keep that maybe no longer in Pascal's case are a top 15 player in the league. And in Fred's case, a top 50 player in the league, maybe they're now top 35 and top 100 when Scotty are going up is going up and OG's going up. Like does the timeline intersect at a point where you can be a winner is that timeline intersection only for one year? Maybe like the Raptors have some real, like they have Fred Van Bleet's contract coming up this year. They have Pascal next year. Like they're in, they're in a weird position where they need to make real long-term decisions on how to build this roster. And it's why I was kind of like, well, I think they have the infrastructure to like go now if they want to and go get a number one option, kind of similarly to how they did when they got Kawhi Leonard, obviously, I would do that if I could, but it seems like they want to go a different direction, which I understand. Like it's, it's not like a cut and dry thing by any stretch. It's just, I I worry about the way the timelines are intersecting for the Raptors in a pretty real way. So let me say I did coverage on the, of course I did coverage on the Kevin Durant stuff. I said at the time, I said at the time you make that trade. I know a, a decent chunk of Raptors fans are like, no, you know, Scotty could be anything. He could even be Kevin Durant, right? You know, like <laughs> something like that. But I, I have been of the position that if Kevin Durant was gettable and you still get to maintain like what makes your team win and Scotty yeah. will make teams win in the future, Raptors, yeah. who, whatever, right? He will, he will totally. drive winning. Yep. He doesn't drive winning as much as Fred Pascal or OG at this point, And quite frankly, not close. If you could have traded him for Kevin Durant and they said no, shame on you if you said no up there. But like <laughs> anyway, skill skill sets, particularly elite ones, would make a lot of this other stuff make a ton of sense. But yes. as it currently stands, the Raptors, even you look at when we look at, I guess, their their championship team, right? OG had appendicitis and didn't play. Norman Powell yep. hardly figured into the rotation. A lot of guys on the back end of that team, they got they took the long development. But the Raptors had other guys there. They had yeah. a full rotation. And what the Raptors currently don't have, because of somewhat due to injury, somewhat due to, you know, lack of ability to sign guys in free agency, Malcolm Brogdon choosing the Celtics over the Raptors, for example, this offseason, particularly painful to hear. And, you know, you can't miss on draft picks like David Johnson, who's still with the 905, but just hasn't figured into the Raptors at all. Doesn't seem to be part of anything. Delano Banton, who had that tremendous game against Detroit, who has continued to try and grow. He also will not be a guy who drives winning for some time. Malachi Flynn has just been abandoned despite having some <laughs> skill sets that are, you know, positive and good in the NBA. It's a team. Free, free Malachi Flynn. Free Malachi. That's right. They're they're a team that they rely like they're like a you know a kid who can't swim just hanging off of the guys who drive winning and there's the roster is very polarized. There are the guys who really drive winning and there are the guys who really don't and they need some of that middle ground. Some of that middle ground like Precious and Otto that's injured right now, but I think because of how good Pascal is, Fred is still quite good, OG is still good you reasonably can sign Fred is maybe different. Pascal, you sign the super max. Probably you do your thing. OG, you sign, you know, 
they're in a position where they can keep a really interesting core and add to it. So to address the first question of the podcast, like I guess you don't blow it up, but also the Raptors, I think they need to add this season. Be aggressive in trying to get something. I'm glad that you said that, and I'm glad that you transitioned right into what I want to talk about <laughs> next. I think this team should add. That's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I know that they're 13 and 18. I know they're on a six-game losing streak. I think this team should be a buyer because there's one spot that they can significantly upgrade and completely change the way that this works. It's the center position. And I think that they could really, really change the fortunes of the way this thing is built by just getting a center who can do something on one end of the court. Hopefully he can do something on both ends or at least like be schematically useful on both ends in some way, shape or form. But like if they got one side of the court that is really, really good from a center. This team is like totally different. That's why mm-hmm. on the last segment with Ricky O'Donnell, I brought up Nikola Vucevic. I was like, look, if you could go get Nikola Vucevic for a top 18 protected first round pick that turns into two seconds or something like that, top 16 for the next two years. And then, you know, it turns into seconds. I think you go do that. Like, I think that that is like fairly reasonable and valuable because theoretically the Raptors have the length and athleticism to be able to insulate him defensively while also being able to get a lot of the benefit of what he can bring offensively in the half court. So it's, it's something I'm not saying like definitely Nikola Vucevic do that, but something like that would upgrade this roster immensely, I think. So Miles Turner, Pirtle, Vucevic, like these guys, particularly the former two, have been linked to the Raptors for some time. And, you know, you never really know where the info comes from, but apparently they like these players. And everybody who watches this team understands why the Raptors would be looking at those guys and saying, I like that. I'd really like that on my roster. And it's it's a salient point you make about even just improving one end measurably and just being of some utility on the other. If we, you know, you made the case for Vooch, the installation is a great point about the defense, right? Like that passive rim protection of a big guy is just something the Raptors don't have, even if it's not elite, but it's just big. The defensive rebound, like the Raptors wouldn't have to sell out as hard for defensive rebounding. They don't have to rotate as hard towards the middle, like all this kind of stuff. There's, and then they can be more aggressive in passing lanes above the break. Like there's just a million different defenses complicated at the NBA level. I'm sure we know this. When we talk about (laughs) Pirtle, this is also when we talk about the scheme, Pirtle can simplify a lot of that stuff too. Even if Pirtle doesn't finish, you're making it so that the Raptors don't have to play that helter-skelter, kill yourself, like just so much effort scheme the whole game. You can get like, what, 27, 29 minutes of a little bit more conservative. Maybe some games, Pirtle, he's he's really found like a gap. Maybe he's really working well off maintaining space as a cutter or a roller. You finish with him, whatever. But it adds to that versatility. This is something that Jackson Frank and I talked about prior to the season, his when he said, do you think the Raptors are a versatile team? And I said, no, this team is not versatile at all, despite being billed as versatile. A wing does not mean versatile. And people think it means versatile. The Raptors are stuck in one type of play. They, They cannot be changeable as far as what they aim to do. They can throw different schemes like against the Mavericks. Sure. They, they ran 13 different pick and roll coverages against Luka Doncic. That's absolutely correct. But what they couldn't do 
is sit a guy at the back end who is better than Christian Coloco, lock and trail and bother him from behind and kind of get back into place that way and like have a good big man like Brook Lopez who they won't have, but just have a good, I should actually, that's a bad concern. DPOY, not Brook Lopez, a good big man who can navigate the back end of the defense. Like that stuff simplifies so like much. If Vita Zubats like would be very, it would be so that. good. Sure. And he's good, but like that, that he's like a middle tier center in the NBA. Right. And so getting anybody like that, simplifies and and precious that you will, will answer some of these questions to be sure. Yep. But again, this is about versatility. This is about being able to win in more than one way. This is about being able to do more on offense as well. And the Raptors being a team that gives up a lot of looks at the rim allows teams to shoot an incredible rate from the rim corner three pointers, and then also struggling offensively, especially in the half court. It's just, they need something. I'd love a center. And if you could somehow steal like Jalen Noel out of the backcourt in Minnesota or something like that, <laughs> even better, dude. That'd be tremendous. And look, Noel is entering, I think, a free agency year, if I remember correctly. So they may not want to pay him. Maybe they have to make a decision between him and Nas Reed, right? Nas Reed would also like relatively help on some yep. level. Like, I really like Nas, but mm-hmm. like, you know, Nas is in some ways, a switchable center. I don't love his rim protection necessarily, but he can guard out with guards occasionally, and he's a very skilled offensive player. Just like little things like that, I think would really, really help this team moving forward. Um, it's a center, and you could go out and get a bench guard, like go out and find a guy like a Jalen Noel. I think the bench guard thing is probably easier to find and would be cheaper at the very least. Um, but like... I don't know. It's hard because you're trying to figure out like, okay, what do we give up for some of these guys? It seems like Miles Turner is going to be a bit expensive Mm -hmm. at this point. It feels like Jakob Pertl is going to be quite expensive based off of, you know, what the reports are that the Spurs want. It seems like they want like multiple first round picks, which I don't know. That seems aggressive to me, but I I also respect what Pertl can do defensively. I think he's one of the, 25 best defenders in the NBA, something like that. If we were trying to put a number on it. So like it, it just becomes very, very tricky. Also Toronto, they have like, what are their first round pick protections that there's something up with this pick? Isn't there? Honestly, I, I'm not completely certain they have their picks at the very, no, least. no, no, they have their picks. That's right. Yeah, they yeah, have yeah. this pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they have all the picks they need. It's just like finding the right protections for them to be able to do that. And I don't know. I think they should. That's where I, like I, the bulls should blow this thing up in some respect or another to kind of close the loop on the two parts of this episode. Like the bulls need to do something where they're like probably selling in order to shift things around and change the direction. Hopefully take a small step back to go forward. I think the Raptors could just like take a great big fucking leap forward by getting a center at the end of the day. What if, and I mean this, like I mean this more than I've maybe ever meant anything, but what if they could get Vooch and Caruso? Oh my day. Yeah, do it. That's great. How much would they, how much would Nick nurse play Alex Caruso into the 48 minutes? Yeah. Like (laughs) Like 48 a night, baby. Let's go. Um, no, that'd be great. Like that, if they were getting both of those guys, like, 
I don't know that that probably costs two first round picks, which I don't think I would do personally, because I think that then you're emptying the asset chest when in reality, what I think the Raptors need is a number one option. And I'd be willing to empty like a little bit of the asset chest for a big upgrade this year, but I wouldn't be willing to empty like two first round picks worth of the asset chest. Cause I think they can go out and get something. They can go out and get a guard. that would be useful for a second round pick. They can go out and get a center probably for a late first round pick. That's heavily protected in some way, shape or form that doesn't hinder them particularly substantially long-term. So that's kind of the way I'd look at it, but I mean, hell, if you can go out and get Alex Caruso and Nikola Vucevic for one first-round pick, I don't think that's going to happen, but sure, let's rock. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i not even thinking of the machinations of how it comes together. I'm just doing, like, the fanfic of seeing Alex Caruso yeah. guarding, <laughs> you know, like a, like a dribble handoff where it's, you know, like either Precious or Pat. Uh, let's just say OG and Caruso guarding yeah. pick-and-roll actions together would be Nirvana for many people who enjoy um, defense, but yeah, that would be, that'd be really fun. Even gives you like the versatility to be able to move Fred, like off the ball for Mm -hmm. possessions at a time to conserve energy for him offensively. Like it'd be very, very helpful. It'd be very, very helpful to go out and get someone like that. Um, But yeah, that's where I'm at. I think the Raptors should buy. I think they should go out and try and find a real player that can be an upgrade for them as opposed to the bulls who I think should be moving on. Samson folk. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Uh, if you're really into the Raptors, uh, you can go to RaptorsRepublic.com. It does cost money. My written work is paywalled, as is Lewis Satzman's. Um, for many people, that money is worth it. I appreciate everyone who does. If you are looking for free work uh, from myself, I do video breakdowns with Yahoo Sports. And everything that goes up on YouTube or on the podcast channel with Raptors Republic is free as well. Um, I like to think I'm good at what I do. I appreciate all the support for anyone who wants to. I would to... agree with that for what it's worth. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um, I appreciate anybody who, not not just the paid stuff, people who just take in my work. Uh, thanks for letting me chop it up with you and speak to you about basketball because it's a unique job to be able to do. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to to shout it out as well, Sam. Yeah, of course. So this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Uh, go to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini, over on YouTube. Subscribe, help the show that way. Go to the podcast feed, hit the follow on the podcast feed, hit subscribe over on Spotify. Uh, this will be coming out Wednesday now, obviously. Friday, I'm going to have Adam Spinella on. We're going to do... I think non-conference college basketball slash NBA draft awards, the things that have stood out for us, superlatives that we've seen so far this year. Then on Monday, which is Boxing Day here in Australia and in Canada, slash Christmas on Sunday, I will release a mailbag uh, over on the YouTube channel that will then go on the podcast feed. You guys have asked a lot of really, really great questions already. I will continue to ask for those up until Thursday morning, my time. And then we'll probably record that. And then on the next Wednesday, Spins and I will have another episode that is very fun talking about uh, things that top NBA draft prospects need moving forward as they enter the new year before their pre-draft year. So keep all of that in mind. Until next time, we will talk soon.